Hello, I'm your host Jim McLean. Welcome to the latest edition of the Bandaflix Movie Review Podcast. So in this edition of the podcast, I was down in Dublin to speak to director David Nagaleri and Shane Paul O'Doherty about John Paul II in Ireland, A Plea for Peace. It's going to be screened in Omniplex cinemas later this week. And before you hear that interview, let's play a clip of the film. The Pope's visit in 1979 was an extraordinary event. 2.7 million people got to see the Pope. That was more than half of Ireland. That was a remarkable experience. You could see how strong he was. He was a strong man. And then he made his famous plea. On my knees, I beg you to turn away from the path of violence and to return to the ways of peace. So that's a clip of John Paul II in Ireland, A Plea for Peace, and I'm joined now by one of the film's directors, David Nagaleri, and uh, one of the interviewees within the film, that is Sean Paul O'Doherty. David, if I could start with you, you're probably best placed. Tell us about this documentary, just to give us a taste of what this is all about. Well, this film takes a look back at that those remarkable three days in 1979 when John Paul II visited Ireland, and more than half the country came out to see him. And it was this incredible, euphoric moment for the country. But the documentary really focuses on the climate in Ireland 10 years into the Troubles. Um, Everything that the country was facing with the violence, um, the political issues, the stagnation, and how John Paul II, in his speech in Drahata, where he called on the IRA, men of violence, to, on his bended knee, he said, to turn away from violence, to turn to the ways of peace. What we explored was the idea that those were the seeds of the peace process. And we did that by interviewing individuals who were transformed by his words, who were encouraged and emboldened by his words. And we kind of traced those seeds over two decades that would ultimately take to the Good Friday Agreement. And individuals like Shane O'Darty, who's here, um, really share about the impact those words had on them. So it's kind of, for me, it was a fascinating experience as a filmmaker to see how an individual like, a, like, a, like John Paul II could come, speak the truth, um, have an entire nation listen to him. Some didn't follow his direction, but some did. And I think the film makes a compelling case that John Paul II's words did indeed sow the seeds of the peace process. And Sheen, that brings me then to yourself. Can I just ask you then how you come to be involved in the project and your memories of that time? Well, the interesting part for me, of course, is I wasn't there. I was in my prison cell in Wormwood Scrubs, serving out my 30 life sentences in 20 years for London bombings. And uh, I, I, I had already, in the previous two years, you know, I'd, I'd uh, gone through a massive experience of my arrest during a ceasefire, the IRA shooting a young police officer in Derry, Paul Gray, to restore the ceasefire, finding out in Crumlin Road Jail in Belfast that... The, when I was brought in there for the first time, um, that the principal officer of the wing that I was on in solitary was Paul Gray's father. He was devastated. I had been released, rearrested, flown to London for London bombings. I had tried to continue in the vein of the ceasefire that I'd voted for in the IRA. I'd seen my victims at my trial in the Old Bailey, which I, where I didn't recognize the court, but I, I saw the innocent victims there. And, after my conviction, I was naked and solitary for 15 months, refusing to wear a criminal uniform, you know, political status thing. 
and I remember a Jesuit priest, you know, had, had a terribly bad relationship with me. He and I used to fight like cat and dog, and a few times I saw him, you know, and I told him to F off out of my cell once. And I'd said to him, you know, where's the proof your God exists? And in response, he said, the four Gospels. So not to be outdone by a Jesuit, I demanded a Bible, and I read the four Gospels. And I had a huge feeling that I was on the wrong side of uh, a lot of things, and I wanted to change my life and break away from the IRA. And I had broken away from the IRA, and even in response to Matthew's Gospel, you know, about, uh, uh, you know, if you come to your altar to offer your gift, remember that your brother is someone against you. Uh, go away, you know, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. In my case, I'd fought a case against the Home Office to be able to write to my victims and apologize, and I'd done this privately. And then the, some of my victims sold the letters to the news of the world. It was all over the news. I became the most isolated prisoner in the English prison system. The IRA disowned me and sent me to Coventry. The British authorities um, didn't believe anything about conversion or change or repentance in young men. Um, I was completely isolated. And I, I had forged this kind of repentance that nobody believed in. And, you know, the press were attacking me as wanting to get out of prison early. The IRA agreed with that. The prisoners in the prison system couldn't understand what was going on. And when John Paul II visited Ireland, it was a massive change in my circumstances. Within, like, weeks of this man bringing into common parlance, you know, the grammar of sort of repentance, <laughs> the currency of the gospel, the idea that he might call on people involved in violence to, to lay down their arms, the idea that he was calling on young people involved in violence to change their lives. Here, I, who had done my best to do this, and was being attacked from all sides and in a fog of um, cynicism, suddenly I found that, you know, members of parliament in Britain and members of the church like Cardinal Basil Hume, Tommaso Fee, Cardinal Fee, many members of the House of Lords like Lord Longford took me seriously. And, and, and even the IRA prisoners who had, you know, some had asked, you know, the guy who actually planted the Birmingham bombs, uh, Mick Murray, um, he... He, he, he was in prison on other charges, but he demanded that IRA prisoners murder me in my cell because of my change of heart. So suddenly the, um, the impact of John Paul II's visit to Ireland was that people took me seriously. They took the language of repentance change that young people could want to break away from a paramilitary organization. They took it more seriously. And it had a huge impact on me in subsequent years. And I must say, Catholicism was kind of very much, you know... Dis, like abused in the southeast of England. Nobody, nobody took Catholics or Catholicism seriously. They were Irish, or they were Mediterranean, and they were kind of second-class citizens, you know. And, and and Catholicism was seen as a joke in the southeast of England. It was seen as like some sort of a Mickey Mouse philosophy. But following John Paul II's visit to Ireland, he breathed life into Irish Catholics. They had more pride. They had more belief. Suddenly, Anglicans and, and secular people and so were taking it more seriously. And it had a huge impact just outside the visit to Ireland and even outside the call for people like me to lay down our weapons. It was a huge thing in my life. And when somebody said to me, they finished shooting a movie about John Paul in Ireland, some guy called me from the States and said, you know, they're finishing. I said, you know what, I've got a story to tell. And I wasn't even at the Pope's visit. And then later, um, I got a call from David, you know, are you serious that you've got some, what how could you possibly be an influence in solitary confinement and Wormwood Scrubs in London? So I said, give me a chance to tell my story on there, and he's given me a chance, and I'm in there. It's one of the things, David, I mean, from watching the documentary earlier this week, um, 
within it, it's our runtime. It's it's very balanced, and it does a lot of putting things into context. There's a lot, and I think that's a very important part of, of this documentary, of giving a firm understanding of what was going on in Ireland and Northern Ireland at the time. For yourself, because you, this is, I believe, your third documentary specifically regarding John Paul II. How aware were you coming into this of the role he had played at that time? And then how did that shape along the journey of, of making this documentary? Yeah, for me, it's been an interesting experience. Going into this, I didn't have a rich background on knowledge about the history of Ireland or about John Paul's visit. I knew very little. I have done several documentaries about John Paul II, his legacy. And the executive producer of the film, Carl Anderson, he had a conversation with Lord David Alton, who's a British politician, member of the House of Lords, whose mother is Irish and who has a real strong connection with Ireland and who's involved in some of the peace process negotiations and even during the 70s. And they had a conversation where Lord Alton shared with him the impact he felt that John Paul II had in 1979. And so Mr. Anderson asked me to explore it, make a film. And I started calling people up, called historians. I Googled it. I tried to find information. There was very little out there. And a lot of people said to me, well, John Paul II didn't have an impact. The violence continued for almost 20 more years. Um, and, and he was dismissed by the IRA. And that was kind of the mentality that I found among many. But then there were others, like Shane O'Doherty, um, like in the film, people like Sir Jeffrey Donaldson, Reverend Harold Good, who speak about how John Paul II's words really impacted them because in the Protestant community in the Northern Ireland, many had kind of linked the IRA, the Catholic Church, the Pope, all one and the same. And this helped show them that the church and, 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 and John Paul II really stood against the violence that was going on. So Slowly, bit by bit, as I started interviewing people and peeling the layers of the onion off, I found that John Paul II really did make an impact. It's just that when you have, uh, and you know this much better than me being from Belfast, when you have centuries and centuries of hatred and animosities and jealousies and rivalries, this is not going to go away with one, a word from man. But this is a man who comes to a country, has half the nation turn out to see him, has every major newspaper in the world as a front page story. This puts this. This is going to impact people's hearts and people's minds, and so it was, an ex, it was a chance to kind of explore how it did that. I think the the, the major contribution I think this documentary could make in terms of, terms of a new understanding of the peace process is our work with the Father Alec Reed archives and the discovery we had that just six weeks after the visit, Father Alec Reed is in discussions with Archbishop Fee, and he's saying, "Well, the Pope condemned violence, but he also spoke to politicians, and he said we must remove the causes." of the violence. And is this a game changer? And Tim Pat Kukin says, really, he feels that that was a game changer. And that established that political dialogue was the way forward. And the film traces how, for Father Alec Reed, those words impact him. And ultimately, four, five, six years later, that's what, what triggers the secret talks that he forms. He gets together between John Hume and, and Jerry Adams. So it, it was an interesting process. I came into it not with a deep knowledge, um, but I think hopefully found something that maybe um, could give people a new perspective on the peace process in Northern Ireland. And, um, and I think the film also was trying to appeal to two audiences. It was for U.S. audiences, for PBS, and we had to s establish the backdrop of how Northern Ireland comes together, about the animosity. So we, we, we kind of dovetail um, glimpses of the, of the trip, reflections on the trip, analysis of the visit, uh, with flashbacks to give people a real comprehensive understanding of the conflict. And, um, and so I think hopefully someone can watch this film, learn about John Paul II's trip, but also learn a little bit about the history of Ireland, Northern Ireland, the conflict, and uh, kind of have a full picture of the context.
Shane, coming back to yourself, because one of the interviews that really struck me was Jeffrey Donaldson's. It, it wasn't an interview I expected to appear in this documentary. Hearing his words from someone who's from a very different background as Jeffrey Donaldson, you know, what does did that mean to you? How did those words strike you? I thought Jeffrey was very honest, and and he was he he was a very powerful speaker because four weeks before the Pope's visit, the IRA had blown up and a 79-year-old pensioner, Lord Louis Mountbatten, they, along with Lord Mountbatten, they blew up an 83-year-old Lady Brayburn, a 14-year-old Nicholas Natchbull, and 15-year-old Paul Maxwell, and left their body parts strewn along the beach and sea at Muller Moor in Sligo. On the same day, they'd strewn body parts of 18 soldiers um, at Narrow Water, and, and the language of the IRA had become literally body parts strewn across roads and, and you know, the land. And there is no doubt that at certain times in the Troubles, such as in the IRA's bombing of, say, Enniskillen, that many decent, ordinary Protestant Unionist people could, could feel that, you know, every Catholic was a member of the IRA and that, you know, some priests were in league with the IRA. That these views that I heard from Loyalist prisoners with whom I spent the last four years of my prison sentence, they truly believed this. These these loyalist prisoner friends of mine who went out and murdered Catholics wholesale, who became my good friends in the last four years of my sentence, they they fully accepted or fully believed that Catholicism and the IRA were one. And John Paul II's fantastic, like uh, historic uh, plea to men of all men of violence, even loyalists, to lay down their weapons and to and to you know work work democratically and peacefully it 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 killed the lie no longer could Sinn Féin IRA claim that it was you know defenders of catholics or a catholic organization and and it, i mean when i say that um, john paul II's uh, visit to ireland changed my life i mean during the four weeks after the murder of lord louis mountbatten and those two children and that elderly woman the callous murder a number of IRA prisoners in, in, in the English prisons, who, who, prominent prisoners, told me and that they were going to leave the IRA because of that atrocity. But any doubts they might have had were, were, were lifted when, within four weeks, the Pope of the world comes and, and condemns all violence and, and called on the IRA directly to stop its unnecessary, immoral armed struggle. And, and it was a huge fillip to Catholics in general who felt oppressed by the paramilitarism of the IRA. You know, I mean, people in, in IRA-controlled ghettos couldn't speak freely. You know, that they had, they, had, that they had oppressed and terrorized, you know, the peace people, these peace movements. And um, so, so people got hope. And in fact, you know, it, it's like if, you know, if, if we say that, uh, you know, uh, cars drive on petrol or diesel, you know, peacemakers travel on hope. Uh, and this man inspired hope in, in the civilian population, among politicians, Priests, the, the priests who, who who were nervous about um, being seen to to mix with paramilitaries, lest they could be thought to be uh, giving them a cloak of, of respectability. But these these prominent priests, like Father Dennis Fall and others, Father Neil Carlin and others, uh, Father Alex Reed and others, you know, Cardinal Tommaso Fee, Cardinal Basil Hume, Edward Daly, Bishop Edward Daly, they took the. This was a clear authorization from the Pope in Rome. You got to rock and roll and see what you can do to end this conflict and bring about peace with justice. Now, this movie isn't claiming that the peace process has delivered 
peace with justice. Let me, anybody who thinks that this is going to be some propaganda Catholic movie, it's not. There are many different opinions in this movie. You know, the prominent historians, Americans, British, and Irish commentators, some express at the end, you know, different views. And, uh, but, but it's a very powerful, um, very powerful drama documentary, I think. And uh, I'm surprised that I was dragged in on the coattails and allowed to speak among such, such prominent names as appear in the documentary. I do want to come back in a second about assembling these, these interviews, but coming back to yourself, Shane, I mean, we've seen recently, we've had the documentary I Delores, and we have seen a lot of features, documentaries that are dealing with Northern Ireland's past. And I mean, I suppose here in Northern Ireland, in Ireland, there's maybe different perspectives, different opinions of them than, say, the international feeling. But for you personally, how important is it Particularly because I know there's a moment in this documentary where it touches on kind of the, the youth of Ireland. And I mean, how important is it? There's a generation now in Northern Ireland that have grown up not, not knowing the troubles. I was there at the end. I was kind of, I was there at the end. I remember the Oma bombing. That's, that's my real troubles moment. But how important is it you feel we have these documentaries that showcase, you know, how far we have come and the dangers of going backwards where we currently have the stalemate that we have in Stormont? Yeah, I mean, personally, I don't like the phrase stalemate because it implies that two sides don't want to dance, whereas I think it's only one side that doesn't want to dance, the, the crowd that crashed Stormont. But, but um, you know, the, the, there's a war for truth in Northern Ireland. One of the consequences of our peace process is there's a war on truth. Uh, this word narrative has suddenly appeared where people are trying to justify the wholesale slaughter of men, women, and children, civilians, as just a narrative, you know. And everybody's got a different narrative. And there's no morality anymore. There's no such thing as right or wrong. Right and wrong is gone because everybody's narrative justifies what they do. Me, I think this is total BS. I think it's fantastic that that there, there, there's a constant stream of artistic and... Uh, quite important, you know, movies or documentaries or, or, or podcasts that try to give voice to those who don't fit within these power groups, these two powerful power groups that are vying to, to, to tell us and to tell history what truth is. It's important that people get a chance to see something different. You know, it's quite refreshing that, uh, that an Italian-American comes in who doesn't know anything. This is the joy of it, you know, doesn't know a damn thing and assembles all these incredible people like prime ministers and lords and historians and commentators and, and even me, you know, and, and, and through it all, I, when I saw that, I sat down with my wife to look at this movie and I thought it was going to be a bit of a drag and it wasn't. I mean, it was, it was, it was, you know, I was fascinated to the end and I thought, my God, how important it is that everybody gets a chance to say their piece. But I think victims have been kind of written out of the peace process. They have been silenced, they've been trampled on. And I think it's very important that victims get a sense, going back, that um, you know people in churches weren't letting them down. They were trying. And, and that you know for, for people who lost faith, that young people could change. I and many, many, many other young paramilitaries on the Loyalist and Republican side, we, we, there, when I was transferred back to Northern Ireland from the English prisons after 10 years, I refused to go on the IRA wings in the long cash, the first person to refuse to go on the IRA wings. And I went on what was called an ODC, Ordinary Decent Criminal Sex Offender Wing, where nobody, none of the politicals would go. Within months, hundreds of young men from the IRA wings joined me to get away from the oppression of the IRA. Hundreds of young, and not so young loyalist prisoners joined me. 
there were so many of us within two years, hundreds of us, that they opened up McGabry Prison just for us, and we became called the conforming prisoners. But for people who lost hope in change and the power of change, here hope came expressed by the Pope in Rome, supported by many clergy of other denominations. I mean, Harold Good's in there saying it was a good thing. And, but you know, the change that, that I saw many young people, I saw hundreds of young, younger people in prison have the courage to break away from paramilitaries. And you know, they didn't get much of a story. You know, their stories weren't told. They keep in touch with me on social media now from both sides. But I, I write my blog, in fact, uh, irishpeaceprocess.blog, to express some of that. But hope came, hope came in a number of ways. But I think, the, I think it was like a nuclear weapon of hope when Pope Paul made his statement, moved 2 million, 7, 700,000 Irish people moved to see this guy. It was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, they started, even watching the footage in this, of so many people, it's like a huge mass migration. It's a fascinating look back, and I'm delighted to have been a small part of it, a very small part of it. David, I, I have to ask you, talk me through the challenge of getting together all these, these interviewees and lining them up and arranging them, and then the process of editing this into the final piece. Yeah, so it, was, I it took about 18 months. Uh, I made about six trips to Ireland, and uh, I was very pleased. I found the Irish very warm, ingratiating, friendly. They wanted to share. And of course, you guys are known as great storytellers. And so um, I was pleased that I had a really great response. So a lot of the prominent figures featured in the documentary, people like Sir Jeffrey Donaldson and Reverend Harold Good and Seamus Mallon, um, Martin Manzer, um, John Bruton, um, names that you know, I didn't know if they would initially want to do it. There was an eagerness to, to do it. And, and I think also there was an understanding that um, this is an amazing story that needs to be told. And a story that certainly is going to be forgotten soon because a lot of the key players in this whole drama are hit in their 70s, 80s, getting up there in years. And so I didn't have a lot of challenges finding the participants, which initially I was thinking it would be. Um, but I found there was a receptivity. And so that was very uh, helpful to me. Um, and then I spent a good six months just doing historical research, um, brushing up on the history of Ireland. And I was blessed to have a lot of consultants. So a lot of the people you see featured in the film, people like Jeremy Ferreter, Dr. Dara Keel, um, they were also were helpful to me in terms of guiding me on the history of Ireland. And Shane, Shane as well, who's got a really deep understanding of the conflict in Northern Ireland. So I had a lot of consultants that were uh, assisting me. And then I've been making documentaries for the last 12 years. I've made about a dozen films. So I have a process I do with, you know, using the transcripts to find the kind of the, the, the right quote to, to use. And, and, and I think part of the film, too, was to, to challenge people to look at things in different ways. I'll give you just one example. One of the things I found when I started delving into this is that the, the belief among many in the IRA was that John Paul II's speech in Drogheda was written by Bishop Cahaldaly. And they quickly dismissed it as just the words of Cahal Daly. And um, John Paul doesn't know our history, doesn't know what we're going through. And uh, we love him as Pope, but he doesn't understand us. And they dismissed it. We interviewed Cardinal Justin Regali, who is an American cardinal. At the time, was working in the Vatican Secretariat of State. He was in charge of translations and writing the Pope's speeches. And one of the interesting things he revealed is that John Paul II was rewriting, making changes to the speech in Jahada up to the last and final hours. And there's all kinds of lines and margin notes. And, and he said he was really living this very intensely. And, and we included that in the film, not necessarily with the context, but I think, I hope this film 
challenges people to maybe look back at different aspects of that visit and its impact in a new way. And one would be those who are cynical about the Pope's speech as just being written by Carl Daly. Because now we know John Paul II really took that speech to heart. So that would be just one example how in writing the script, we're trying to inter introduce new ideas and new interpretations that allows people to have a different view of history. And that goes on both sides, too. So we have uh, Dermot Ferriter, who was very kind of cynical and did not think John Paul II's uh, visit had any impact. And we have him in the documentary explaining his position, what he thinks you know, led to the peace process, and why he thinks John Paul II's visit you know, didn't have the impact. And so I hope this, this film is a chance for people to have a dialogue, as they look back on their past, look back on their history. I've always been driven as someone who studied history and, and loves history, by the idea um, that a people that are cut off from their past are driftless. If they're cut off from your roots, you're kind of driftless. And you, you need to have a, a, a deeper understanding of where you come from. And that dialogue, I think, needs to happen in Ireland. It needs to happen in every country. It needs, it needs to happen first individually. And one of the things Pope Francis said in his recent trip here, he talked a bit about the need that we have to talk to our grandparents. Kids have to speak to their grandparents. And he, he quoted an Argentine poet about how all, all the everything that blooms from a tree is drawn from the life underneath. And, and I think that concept that Pope Francis spoke about that struck me is very much part of what this film's about. And I hope it, it, it contributes, and I hope it's uh, a source of dialogue and, and continuing the peace process that is going on in Northern Ireland and in, in our individual hearts. If I could ask you one last question, and it's, only, it's a question from watching this documentary and then looking back at your own back catalogue. I mean, a lot of your films have dealt with religion and faith and aspects of that, and to an extent. So I just wanted to ask you, I mean, because this, this is a question we have here at Pantoflix amongst our members when we discuss various films. Can I just ask, like, what does faith mean to you? Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent question. I think one of the things that allowed me to have a unique perspective in making this film was that when I was 20 years old in the year 2000, um, I grew up in a parish, uh, my church in New York State, where many of my friends had fallen away from the faith and weren't going to church anymore. And it was a climate not unfamiliar to me what's happened in Ireland in many parishes and many communities. When I was 20 years old, I traveled to Rome for World Youth Day this brilliant invention of Pope John Paul II. And I was in a huge field in Torbegata, just outside Rome, with four million young people. And I listened to the words of John Paul II, calling young people to live the new evangelization, calling them to live a Christian life, challenging them in many different ways. And to be gathered with four million young people, when perhaps you're going typically going to a church where it's just older people and many of your friends have fallen away, that had a profound impact on me, and I know it had a profound impact on many other young people through these World Youth Days. So that was a personal insight I had about how you're not alone. And that's what John Paul II wanted to teach people, and that's what one of the impacts I think he had in Ireland, drawing these huge crowds. And that idea of the community, and that idea that, you know, don't buy into the notion that you're isolated or that no one else believes. That whole concept, I had lived personally, and I was able to kind of apply it to the film. And so a little part of my own faith journey, I think I was able to apply as I tried to understand the impact John Paul II had. Um, so that's, that's one way to approach your question, which I appreciate. But, um, but I think it's fascinating for me to see the influence of men driven by faith um, on history and on public affairs. And I think certainly with John Paul II, what he accomplished in Poland and in Central and Eastern Europe, igniting the Solidarity Movement, um, which I did a documentary on, um, was crucial. And in a similar way, perhaps less direct, but in a similar way, I found that it happened here. And ultimately, when you trace it back, hey, where, where does this originate? 
It originates in John Paul II's very strong faith that was born in his life amidst great sufferings with his own personal loss of family members, his country being invaded by the Nazis and the Soviet Union, tremendous personal sufferings that would cause many people to lose faith. But for him, that suffering was a way to see the redemption of Christ in his own life and to kind of trans transmit that onto others. And I think that's an inspiring aspect of John Paul II's life. And in a certain way, I think it, it, it comes through in this film as well. And if I can ask the same question to yourself, Shane? Geez, you're talking to a sinner here, man. A big sinner. I suppose, um, you know, from the moment that 15-year-olds were inducted into, you know, paramilitaries on both sides, there, there, were, there were no exits for these kids. You know, the 15-year-olds that, that I joined the IRA with, or that we were sworn in by, by, to the IRA by adults, there was no way out once, once in there. And once they'd gotten 15-year-olds to bomb, shoot, kill or incendiarize whatever booby trap you know they had them there was nowhere there was nowhere to go you know i remember once during my five-year bombing uh you know experience or campaign um i was abroad for a while and i thought you know why don't i just escape to know at that time a lot of vietnamese uh sorry a lot of people who were being called up for the vietnam war in america were skedaddling to sweden or wherever didn't didn't want to fight and i was thinking well you know is there an escape route for young people in Northern Ireland who want to get out of this, and there was none, you know, and you, you, you continued on even when you knew it was all wrong. But I think, you know, I think for me it's an unforgettable time, a row with a Jesuit priest that I hated, and he hated me um, at the time. Uh, the idea that I, in my prison cell, would read the four Gospels, you know, as part of an angry attempt to rebuff the arguments of a priest, <laughs> to find that reading the four Gospels in one sitting was a hugely frightening experience, you know, um, but also hugely liberating because for me, you know, to break away from the IRA in prison where all the IRA prisoners can get at you and can kill you in a moment, it was a huge um, threat. It was it was a lonely path to be isolated in the prison system for 10 years in England, you know, by your so-called comrades and friends, to be standing alone in the prison system, very difficult to do it, among, you know, hundreds of life sentence prisoners and crazies and so on, and bullies and so on. Um, I somehow got this amazing strength to be liberated as an individual. And, and you know, it wasn't, I never, I've never felt, I've many friends from different denominations in Northern Ireland who, whose, whose other friends and family often see the gospel and the way it's preached as, as oppressive. But I only ever found the liberating aspects, you know, which were that I, sh I should wake up in the morning and think, you know, today is a day of infinite possibilities, you know, and I'm in that infinite possibilities. And, you know, I can draw on a higher power um, to lead me when it looks like I'm going to be murdered in my cell or when it looks like the press, the government, and everybody hate me for saying sorry to my victims. So for me, faith has, to this day has been something that liberated me. It's a bit like, I suppose, you know, Egyptians, uh, Israelis escaping, you know, slavery in Egypt. I mean, for young people who broke away from paramilitaries, it was like, you know, like crossing the Red Sea. I mean, it was like getting the hell out of an oppressive horror to try and live your own life. And to this day, to this day, I feel liberated that I speak freely, I think freely, I'm attacked on Twitter, um, you know, I'm sometimes threatened on the streets, but, you know, I've never looked back. And for me, faith gave me back my life and the freedom to have a new life. And through me, I was able in the prison system, you know, as other prisoners have attested in their books even, to you know, help other people to um, break away from an, a terrible evil, a scourge of evil, which 
the paranormal movies were a scourge of evil. And for me, the gospel and faith was like the key to the to the cell door. And it wasn't the cell of the prison that was the, that was the real cell. It was the paramilitary cell. So faith for me has been something that gave me another word starting with F, freedom. Gentlemen, on that note, thank you very much. So that pretty much brings our podcast to a close. Thank you to both our interviewees. Thank you to Bo Communications for help making this interview happen. And of course, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe, however you get your podcast and fix. So all that's really left for me to say now is goodbye, and we'll be back soon.